This presentation, whenever I give it, this particular one, I, I really struggle with this one because it uses a really um, sad event as the basis of the illustration. An uh, act of war that I feel, and many people feel, was an atrocity. And um, it was an atrocity, sadly, that our country had something to do with. So I'm not trying to make a political statement here. I'm, I'm not trying to do that. There, there is a spiritual truth that I want you to understand as I um, share this information with you. And um, I, I, I wanted to get it on record. I don't condone this action. I don't glorify this. I don't glorify war. But Christ is very, very clear in giving us the understanding that we are in the midst of a spiritual battle. And there are certain understandings that we can come to if we put ourselves in the mindset of a warrior. Because a war, someone who's in the midst of a battle, if you're not in the mindset of a warrior, you'll be killed. So warriors belong on the battlefield. And if we are in the midst of a spiritual war, we need to have the spiritual mindset of warriors. So, statement from Darkness Before Dawn that um, Sister White makes. She says that Satan delights in war, for it excites the worst passions of the soul and then sweeps into eternity its victims, steeped in vice and blood. It is his object to incite the nations to war against one another. For he can thus divert the minds of the people from the work of preparation to stand in the day of God. That's how Satan uses war. Using it as a way to sweep people into a state of being lost. So this presentation is called a stern warning. A stern warning and then final judgment comes. Stern warnings from above Always precede revival. Okay? I want you to hear, say that again. So a stern warning from above always precedes revival. Soon after revival, final judgment follows. And I want to use this illustration. We're still in World War II. World War II lasted from 1939 to 1945. I'm going to spend a couple minutes talking to you about World War II. It's set apart from all other wars by significant events that involved the mass death of civilians. It's set apart from any other war because of events that involved the mass death of non-combatants. Events like the Holocaust and other atrocities set World War II above. This horrific war resulted in a reported 75 million deaths. World War II, we think about it in terms of, this, of something happening a long time ago when the world was in some state of barbarism. World War II, my friends, took place in this modern era when man was civilized, when mankind was educated. The automobile existed. The airplane existed. Modern medicine, the way we understand it today, existed. The United Nations 
and the League of Nations existed. Higher institutions of higher education existed. And yet the entire globe was at war to the point where in a matter of less than 10 years, 75 million people lost their lives. I'd like to share an account with you of one of the greatest atrocities of this Second World War. Perhaps it will be instructive in your understanding of deeper spiritual truths that are relevant to our day. By August of 1945, the world at, by that time had been in a state of total war. For nine years, this had been going on, and the incessant slaughter and bloodshed had taken a serious toll upon the nations of, the, of, of Earth. Victory had just been secured by the Allies in Europe, and the United States at that time turned its full attention to the second front of battle, which was where? In Japan. The U.S. was now determined to bring the bloody war to an end because they're looking at the situation and they realize that we can lose more men in Japan than we lost in all of Europe. And let's just set the record straight. When you compare the losses, the human losses of America to most of the other nations that were major players in World War II, ours is just a drop in the bucket. And, and we lost hundreds of thousands of men. Okay, I, I want you to understand, I want you to wrap your mind around this. We lost in America hundreds of thousands of men. And our losses were nothing compared to Russia, Germany, Great Britain, or France. So look it up when you get home one day, the casualties of, of World War II. So we're looking at this situation with Japan, and to invade Japan, it would have cost hundreds of thousands of lives, if not millions. So for the six months prior to August of 1945, the United States decided to intensely firebomb 67 Japanese cities and ask them to surrender unconditionally. But tragically, the Japanese government ignored this ultim ultimatum and President Harry Truman signed an executive order. And this executive order was unlike any other that had ever been signed. It authorized the use of a secret weapon on the nation of Japan, and this weapon would prove to be a game changer. This was a very fearsome weapon. It's one that would wreak devastation on a scale never seen by human eyes before or since. But before this weapon was deployed, the government attempted to warn both the people and the government of Japan what was approaching. They didn't want to just unleash this weapon. They wanted to warn them first because it was so fearsome what was about to happen. So what happened is they told the American Air Force to fly over all of Japan and rain down millions of leaflets from above. And I want you to understand in, in its full picture what was about to happen. Shortly before the secret weapon was going to be unleashed, the United States sent what we could call a forerunner with a stern warning 
with the hopes of inspiring some type of revival in the form of J Japan's surrender. So you've got a leaflet being dropped, which was a forerunner carrying a warning. And what they wanted to do was have the Japanese government come to themselves and understand what was about to happen. Do, do we understand that concept going forward? All right. So the U.S. blanketed Japanese cities of Nagasaki, Hiroshima, and 33 other potential targets with these millions of leaflets. And this is what the leaflet said. It says, read this carefully, as it may save your life, or the life of a relative or friend. In the next few days, some or all of the cities named on the reverse side will be destroyed by, an, by American bombs. We are determined to destroy all of the tools of the military. But unfortunately, bombs have what? No eyes. The American Air Force now gives you warning to evacuate the cities named and save your lives. Heed this warning and evacuate these cities immediately. Sadly, the leaflet went largely unheeded. And on the morning of August 6, 1945, the B-29 Superfortress by the name of Enola Gay carried this secret weapon. It was called Little Boy. At about 8.16 a.m., Little Boy was dropped on the city of Hiroshima, Japan. Little Boy was the first atomic bomb that would ever be used in the history of warfare. It destroyed everything within a 1.2-mile radius. The temperature on the ground reached an unimaginable 10,832 degrees. Everyone within a 2.5-mile radius was incinerated. A tremendous wind traveling at the speed of 2.7 miles per second was generated, causing cement buildings to collapse and broken glass to fly up to 10 miles away. The radiation from this bomb was unbelievably strong, causing those exposed to it to lose all bodily functions and their cells to undergo apoptosis, which is a form of cellular suicide. Between the blast itself, the resulting fires throughout the city and the radiation burns, some estimate that 200,000 citizens of Hiroshima lost their lives including 90% of the city's doctors and nurses. Afterwards, the United States Air Force again dropped millions of leaflets warning the government of Japan and the people of Japan, urging them to surrender and warning of a second attack. And that second leaflet read like this. It says, America asks that you take immediate heed of what we say on this leaflet. We are in possession of the most destructive, explosive device ever devised. Equivalent in power to what 2,000 of our giant B-29s can carry on a single mission. This awful fact is one for you to ponder, and we solemnly assure you it is grimly accurate. If you still have any doubt, make inquiry as to what happened in Hiroshima. That leaflet falls in your front yard and you have the knowledge of what just happened in Hiroshima. Are you taking that seriously? 
on the 9th of August, 1945, Japan would not surrender. Just three days after the Hiroshima tragedy, on the morning of August 9th, the B-29 called Boxcar carried a bomb called Fat Man and dropped it on the city of Nagasaki. Total deaths in Nagasaki reached well over 80,000. It is estimated that over a half million civilians perished in these two unprecedented attacks. Stern warning. In the midst of a battle, when a warning is issued, we are faced with the decision of whether or not we're going to heed that warning and how we're going to reconcile our actions with that warning. Let's look at Malachi, chapter 4, verse 1. It's a warning that we've been given that is much more grave and grim than any previously. It says, surely the day is coming It will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and very and every evildoer will be what? And the day that is coming will set them on fire. Says who? Do you think he's more credible than the US government? Not a root or a branch will be left to them. And if we go to verse 5 and 6, it says, See, I will send who? The prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. Friends, The words revival and reformation, they've become like the buzzwords in Adventism. Have you you been hearing a lot about revival and reformation? We're talking about outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the former reign, the latter reign, and revival and reformation. That just seems to be the the topic of the day. They're very good things. Revival is a very good thing. We're told, and we know this passage by heart, revival is of what? True guidelines amongst us is what? The greatest and most urgent of all our needs. To seek this should be what? We know this. But do we, ever, do we ever read the rest of that statement? Where she goes on to say, Our Heavenly Father is more willing to give His Holy Spirit to them that ask Him than our earthly parents are to give good gifts to their children. Then she says, But it is what? By Let's say it together. Confession, humiliation, repentance, and earnest prayer to fulfill the conditions upon which God has promised to grant us his blessing. A revival need be expected only in answer to what? I want to make three simple points. Three simple points. Point number one. It's always take the messenger of God seriously. 
And I told you from the beginning, I struggle whenever I give this message because we like to hear smooth things. We like to hear things that make us feel good where we are. But sometimes the word of the Lord cuts and it makes you feel uncomfortable. Sometimes you got to move out of your seat into a better position. John the Baptist prepared the way for Christ. Christ was the one who promised revival and warned Israel of its coming judgment. John the Baptist had a role given by God as the forerunner of Christ. In Malachi 3, 1, and Isaiah 40, verse 3, we're going to look at those in a little more detail, they both refer to the one who would prepare the way of the Lord. These key texts foretell of John the Baptist and his work. Malachi 3.1, let's take a look at that. It says, I will send who? My messenger, who will prepare the way before me. Then what? Suddenly. Okay? I want, I want you to remember that word. Suddenly. The Lord you are seeking will what? Come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, saith who? Is that a credible source? When he signs his name, the Lord Almighty, do you think that that's a credible endorsement? Do you think you should take that signet seriously? He didn't really have to say, saith the Lord Almighty. We knew who was talking. But he wanted to remind us that he's sending a messenger. And messengers carry what? Messages. And what are you supposed to do with a message? Heed it. Follow through. Let's go to Isaiah 40, verse 3. And this is the one we closely associate with John. John the Baptist. It says, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. The Bible speaks of the nature of John's mission in Luke 1.17. And make sure you write down these texts. So I want you to be able to go back and verify this. In Luke 1.17, John, Christ is referred to as being to, sorry, the, the nature of um, John's work is referred to as being to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. To make ready what? A people prepared for the Lord. John's ministry called for repentance. And it drew sinful people towards God. This is true revival. Hear that. I'm going to repeat it. John's ministry called for repentance and drew sinful people towards God. When sinful people are drawn towards God, that is true revival. It's not a feeling. It's not a bunch of great music and great feeling and cooperation. It's when the sinful heart is turned towards the God of heaven. Amen? John was followed by Jesus, who also warned of Israel's dire judgment, predicting the destruction of Jerusalem. It was only after Christ's many stern and direct warnings were issued 
that revival and reformation could come afterwards where? Where did revival and reformation come? At Pentecost. That's when revival came, but there were a lot of warnings that were given. But I, want, I, I, I don't want you to miss this. Revival and reformation did come at Pentecost. But judgment was not stayed. It was not put on hold. Judgment came 40 years later for Israel when Jerusalem was destroyed. And I don't have time to go into the details of the destruction of Jerusalem. But it was one of the most horrible events, period. If you ever get a chance to study the destruction of Jerusalem, study it. Because Sister White says that the events leading up to that will be repeated in the end. So we need to pay attention to the sequence of warnings that Israel got leading up to the destruction of Jerusalem. And it will be a mirror image of that in the time of the end. Point number two. We, Seventh-day Adventists, are modern-day forerunners. Do you realize that that's why we exist? The leaflet that was dropped from the airplane, what did it carry on it? A message, a warning. We, as Seventh-day Adventists, we have been given a message and a warning for who? For the world. And the modern-day application of the role of John the Baptist is on us today in the remnant church. Adventists now call for revival and reformation and warn mankind of Christ's second coming. Whether you recognize it, participate in it, or agree with it or not, Christ's message, his warning to the world, is going forward no matter what you think. The Adventist church is distributing the word of God. There may be a lot of other rough edges in our church, but the message is going out and the world is being warned. And us as instruments in the church, are we heeding that warning? Are we hearing some of the things that we say sometimes, even when we share our faith with someone else? Are our hearts in a condition to be participants in the mercy that the Lord must extend to humanity in order to be saved? Let's look at Malachi 4, verse 5. It says, I will send you who? Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. The great and dreadful day of the Lord. What does that mean? What does that mean? It's also called the great day of his wrath in Revelation 6, 17. They both refer to Christ's second coming. So God promises that just before his return, he will send messengers who will preach with the power that Elijah did. Do you remember Elijah? you remember that guy? Do you remember when he was standing before Ahab and before the prophets of Baal? He set a clear distinction between God and Satan. 
And we're to preach with that same power and conviction in this day. Just before the Lord comes, us, the Seventh-day Adventist church, is going to be given a message to preach with the power and conviction of Elijah. Jesus not only brought about unprecedented, unprecedented revival through his ministry, but his work was followed by terrible judgments, like I said. And point three, final judgment is coming. It's on the way. Make no mistake about it. The day of God is coming. And as I say these words, I tremble. I, I'm, I'm sobered when I see what mankind can do to one another in war. And God describes the destruction of the wicked and the earth as something much more intense than what we could wreak out upon one another as evil human beings. Let's look at Malachi 3.1. Surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble. And the day that is coming will set them on fire, saith the Lord Almighty. Not a root nor what? Branch will be left to them. So right now, today, we're confronted with this understanding that the God who loves us, the God who saved us and gave everything for us, he plans on finishing, completing this work of salvation. And a part of the completion of the work of salvation is to take care of that sin problem. Because we like to think about this as all flowery and nice and love one another. And that's true. There's a beauty and a loveliness to the acts of Christ. But there's also this strange thing that the Bible talks about, this strange thing when sin has to be dealt with, those who are impenitent. The forerunner leaflets were dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, giving the government a chance to surrender and citizens a chance to flee. In most instances, the leaflets were ignored. It is estimated that over a half million people perished, like I mentioned earlier. Just as the American leaflets stated that their bombs had no eyes and could not distinguish between military targets and civilian targets, when God's wrath finally falls, and get this, its job at that time will not be to separate sin from sinners. His wrath is a consuming fire which will destroy sin and those who cling to it. The process of separating sin from Sinners, it's to happen when? Now. Now is the time. While Christ is standing in the heavenly sanctuary as our high priest, pleading, pleading on our behalf before his Father. I want to share some good news with you. In that same attack when the 
atomic bomb was dropped, in spite of the advance warnings given to the Japanese people to evacuate. Or our God is merciful, and I want you to hear this. God protected a small group of people who remained behind in the doomed city of Hiroshima. It was a special group of 20 Seventh-day Adventists. They were left in the city to accomplish a very special assignment. In the midst of the devastation, not one member of the local Seventh-day Adventist church was killed, injured, or scratched. Even the ones living within a half mile of ground zero. Amid all of the terrible possibilities on that day, not one of God's people perished or was even wounded. Does God protect those who are his? Is he a cooling shade? In the six, sorry, in the days and weeks following the attack, the members of that Seventh-day Adventist congregation served as medical missionaries to local hospitals. They witnessed to many dying souls. But for nearly every other resident of that city, it was too late to respond to the warnings of the forerunner. Are we ready? And I want to sh share something with you. It says, today, most Seventh-day Adventists are fulfilling the prophecy of Laodicea. Just as predicted, we're kind of lukewarm and, and, and worldly. God would like to spew us out of his mouth. He is now, today though, he's, even in the midst of that Laodicean condition, he is now using many spirit-led men, women, and youth, just like you guys, just like you, to be forerunners, to revive this church and warn this last generation of Christ's second coming. He's using you. He's using me to be that leaflet to warn this world of what's to come. With us having an understanding and a knowledge of what's coming, how should we conduct ourselves when it comes to spreading this message across the world? Is it something that we should be completely passionate about and consumed with? When we look in the face of our neighbors, of our friends who don't know this message, and we know what's coming. Suppose today that Christ should appear in the clouds of heaven. Who would be ready to meet him? What preparation have we made for the judgment, let alone the people out there in the world? Have you made your peace with God? Have they had a chance to meet, make their peace with God? And this is something that uh, is written in Maranatha. It says, I was pointed to the remnant on earth. The angel said to them, will ye shun the seven last plagues? If so, ye must die that ye may live. Get ready. Get ready. Get ready. Ye must have a greater preparation than ye now have. Sacrifice all to God. Lay upon his altar self, property, and all as a living sacrifice. It will take all to enter glory. Christ is coming 
with power and great glory, friends. He's soon to come. It is my firm conviction that Christ will come very soon, sooner than most of us imagine. We're told that his coming will come to us as an overwhelming surprise. And today, are we right with God? Are we at peace with our relationship with him? Do we know him as John did? Have we observed him and studied him? Have we allowed his perfect example to transform our character? And I'll tell you now, I've met many of you here. I know some of you. And your character's not as rough and as coarse and as terrible as John's. Not, as I, not how I imagine it, at least. But yet, John allowed Christ to transform his rough exterior. Do you think that if he can help John, he can help you? Do you think that if John's character could be counted as lovely, that you can be helped, that I can be helped? Have we made it our desire and our determination to look just like Jesus Christ? The leaflets are falling from the skies all around us, friends. And they read, get ready, get ready, get ready. By God's grace, let us get ready before it's too late. I just want to direct your minds, though, back to the sacrifice that Christ made on the cross for us. And I ask that we observe his motivation and study his motivation for coming and doing what he did for us and accept that wonderful sacrifice. And in newness of spirit, get up, go out, and warn our fellow men, not out of a sense of obligation because we don't want their blood on our hands, but because of love. Because of love. Because of love. All right, let's take a break before we go into this final session. And this final presentation will be called, or is called, Special Forces. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.